Hi guys, and welcome to Behind the Microscope. For our first episode, we'll be meeting Jillian Rule, who's a beekeeper at Mount St. Vincent University. Jillian taught me about all the important things that bees do for our world and so much about science agriculture. So let's get into it. Yeah, I'm with Jillian Rule, who is the beekeeper at the Mount, but you're also many other things. Do you want to tell a little uh, bit about yourself? Yeah, I have a, a gazillion heads at the Mount. Um, so I went there for my undergrad. I studied nutrition and then I took some, after graduation, I became a chemical analyst for environmental lab and uh, felt that the scientific world, like the very direct chemistry wasn't exactly for me. And I went back to school, took uh, the master's of a human, applied human nutrition and started teaching in the labs <laughs> and uh, then just thought you know this campus is so beautiful the mount has such an array of flowers they have cherry trees um, goldenrod galore in september like i thought wow the, the capacity for pollination for bees i'm going to put a hive here and the mount said yeah let's do it and it was really easy to set it up it's been one of the first universities uh, besides like community colleges out west that have done beehives on their roofs we've been one of the top universities to do this That's awesome. and um, mostly just because everyone was so receptive to the idea and in the second year of it being on campus it collected 200 pounds of honey that's crazy. Which was nuts. <laughs> it was nuts, yeah. So we were working a lot for that one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I didn't work. The bees did, but yeah. That's amazing. So the mount was super supportive of putting the hive on the campus. They were, yeah. Yeah. And so did you get a lot of student um, interest in the hive? Or? Um, it's been a little bit slow. It snowballed. Um, I mean, the first year was definitely a pilot test, and I, I didn't have anyone say that they were afraid or against this happening. Uh, we did have all the procedures and EpiPen security in case there was an <laughs> allergic reaction. Uh, but the students, summertime's a little quiet, and so it's been sort of the faculty that have been mostly at the workshops. And then I've done a couple, like, small classes and workshops, but targeted with the students. And then and then they come out now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not too scared anymore. Uh, yeah. Really and it's really funny because when I start a workshop, everyone's way back, far, far away from me. And then as soon as I remove the hive lid, it's like everyone just takes 10 steps forward. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I need to see inside. Well, I noticed that with the camp. You did a camp with uh, young girls who were interested in science. And when you started, they were all like basically at the end of the thing. <laughs> and then you opened it and you they started drawing towards it and they were holding like the the trays with the bees and I was just amazed by all of the like facts you knew and all of the stuff so cool. where did you find like that passion for that yeah it was it's kind of a fluke and I talked to other beekeepers and I always ask like how did you become interested in beekeeping and everyone has this kind of strange like beekeeping found them they didn't find it um but I, I, never, I was never into gardening. I was I, the one who got bees and then became, became a gardener, whereas <laughs> some people are gardeners and then they think I should get bees to help my garden. Um, but I studied nutrition. I was really interested in food systems and sustainability, food security type issues. And I went to a documentary screening at the Museum of Natural History. Just was really tired one night, went for a walk, and I saw a sign, free movie. I thought, oh, okay, I'll go sit in the theater. And I left the auditorium crying, oh. just thinking, we need to save the bees. Like, we're all doomed. And then the next day, um, I was reading the newspaper, and I heard about the Halifax Honeybee Society. And it's a public initiative. It's all volunteer run. And they teach people how to become beekeepers for um, awesome. hobby use. And it's, I took it from there. It was I was hooked. My first workshop and seeing the lid being lifted off and lifting up those bees, I was like, this is for me. You know, you knew. You just yeah. knew, right? <laughs> 
that's awesome like the coincidence of like the next day just seeing that about in the article totally yeah so a big movement now in social media is like the whole save the bees like thing right how do you feel about that Mm. oh my gosh i have a lot to say um i sometimes refer to it as like that greenwashing environmental Mm -hmm. movement that's for the a negative, not for the positive, because um, it's trendy. Yes. So I've experienced a lot of beekeepers, and I, you know, not gonna name drop, and I know that people have every good intention to have bees, but they'll get bees and they don't know what to do with them, or mm-hmm. they don't check them enough, and you could be potentially ruining an ecosystem. Right. I mean, if you're not proactive at mitigating a disease or knowing what to look for, and you just let it go, I mean, it doesn't take long till bees spread the disease, and not just to other honeybees and beehives, but to native bees. And then if it gets into agricultural zones, you could potentially ruin a commercial beekeeper's livelihood. And it's quite detrimental. Um, I also have seen a lot of um, industries who are trying to capitalize on the bee trend. So General Mills, for instance, with their whole, um, where the bee go, you know, like Honey Nut Cheerios, they like took the bee off. And it's so funny because, you know, a lot of the monocultures is really what's contributing to the loss of bees and bee habitat. So it's sort of oxymoronic yeah (laughs) jumping on the bandwagon trying to get that well I feel like a big part of it is people support things that they don't understand so do you feel like there's things that people should know that they don't yeah um one of the things that you'll hear the most and and I hate to say this but this came out of Greenpeace is they say you know like one in every three bites is due to honeybees or bees and that's actually a false statement if you actually look at the food and agriculture organization they say you know that type of reliance on pollinators is all pollinators so we're considering mosquitoes wasps butterflies bats like it's not bees it's cross-pollination but people make it out to be like honeybees and sometimes that fact gets misconstrued because of the crops that we see in the grocery store that most of them do rely on honeybees because that's what we've made our food system about um because it's commercial it's industrial agriculture so they put they you know contract hives from honeybee keepers onto their properties to make those crops but if you were to do like more biodynamic principles of gardening you could let native bees or even bumblebees be those sole bee or cross pollinators or other pollinators as well (laughs) the reason i beekeep is because i just love watching the the bees themselves i love witnessing their behavior their social dynamics and so you can't really do that with all of the other bees and that's kind of why i like it but i always make a point to talk about native bees yeah as well that's yeah. awesome i love that <laughs> sacrificing for the oh i i think i just got stung too much in my couple weeks. well i've been a beekeeper for six years now and i think i used to be really silly and just wear whatever oh. and i got stung a lot and so now i think my body reacts negatively yeah oh. <laughs> so you're saying you like the honeybees because they have all these different dynamics and social things um, which you also told the, us about a couple days ago when I met you. Um, what are some really cool ones that you find you found really interesting, which is why you're so interested? In well, one is just the the power of the bees. Like, what kind of species can operate with fifty thousand members? Right. But yet, at the same time, those fifty members make up one unit. And we like to us beekeepers like to think of the beehive is one organism because with all of those parts it lives but if one of those parts were missing it would collapse and not colony collapse but like yeah. it would die uh, colony collapse is a different story um and i i like um i like understanding the job chains of bees because 
it's really neat and I compare it to almost like an Earl's franchise or how Hudson's Bay company used to work in the day that in order to be a shareholder or even have the opportunity to own a franchise is you have to work every job along the chain of, right. of um, <laughs> employment so you have to start as the bus boy and then you have to work up as a hostess or waiter then kitchen staff then manager and then that way you understand what all your employees go through so mm -hmm. you don't contribute to like status stigma or anything like that um, so with the bees they do the same thing is like when they're born they first become the nurse like the warmers they like nurse bees help kind of warm the nest and then when they get a little older they can start like cleaning out the hive a little bit moving around and then when they get even a couple more days they, they can produce wax now they're almost more developed and they can start building oh, no. the construction <laughs> like you know um, the the carpenters and then after that they um, they become guard bees so then they man the entrance and their security and then um, once they've put all the time into like being those duties now it's time that they can be more risky and they can become foragers, which now being out in the environment is your life might be cut short because of all these other factors. Right. And um, at that point, that's like the last stage of the worker bees to, um, job. And I think that's just kind of like so neat. Yeah. They, they do it naturally or I don't know if it's it's evolved that way. Um, now that said, that that's the worker bees. And I should probably say a little bit about the, the sort of structure of the, yeah. the rules. So the worker bees are female. Um, they do all the work. They're the pollinators. Um, they're Ooh, the ones who, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boom, boom. And then the drones, which are the male bees, um, they don't do a whole lot, but again, they, they contribute to the organism living. Um, and they don't have stingers and they eat a lot of honey. <laughs> so they just kind of bum around and they're, and then they inseminate the queen. So they, their whole life is basically just waiting to inseminate the one, uh, beautiful virgin. And, and then they die after that. But then the queen, who everyone, everyone's always interested in the queen. They, they right. think that she's almost like this major monarch that yeah. is, is the whole, and she, she, I mean, she is definitely one of the most important things of the hive because she lays all the eggs, which become all of the workers and the drones. Um, but she doesn't do a whole lot for like, for herself. Like she, she doesn't, um, she gets her bum cleaned when she poops. She gets fed by the workers. Like she's like Henry the Eighth. Yeah. Like she she has all these kinds <laughs> she of like, yeah. She does, she's kind of helpless. And even if uh, you were to buy queens from the mail, like they get shipped from maybe really? Australia or, or Hawaii, the queen will come with workers in her little package because she'll die without being her companions and being taken care of. Yeah. Um, but she but she is pretty amazing. There's only one queen in the whole hive. She can lay up to like two thousand eggs a day. And uh, she can live anywhere from like two, but I've seen even up to seven in some records, seven years. And wow. she's not a very good layer at that point. She's pretty senior, but <laughs> she's, she's still, some of them times she can still go. So with the queen, I guess we'll stay on the topic of the queen. Um, how does a new one come? Yeah. So um, you want to see a new queen every spring. It's kind of part of the cycle of reproduction of honeybees. And if they're healthy, they're going to want to, split off and rear a new queen and the old queen will leave with half the colony and, and continue her hive but she'll leave all of her resources and all of her stuff behind which is I mean that's probably the most generous act of I altruism <laughs> <laughs> so she'll um but usually it happens around like in June June's a pretty stressful time for beekeepers you have to be on your game your yeah. game um but so she'll she'll lay a inseminated egg which is what will become female uh the in sorry the yeah the fertilized egg 
is will become female and the unfertilized will become a drone but she'll lay a fertilized egg into a queen cup kind of like a little it looks like a big peanut that sticks out of the cell and it will become a new queen as, lo as long as it's pumped full of royal jelly so royal jelly is this really amazing liquid that's produced in a gland on their foreheads and it's full of enzymes and protein and because it's so rich in all these nutrients the queen carcass can evolve to be that large queen that she is and she's a lot larger than the other bees whereas the other bees they just get a little bit of royal jelly and then they get honey and then the pollen nice. is like a protein source um, to help the babies grow so when she when the virgin's all ready to go she actually knows she's a queen as soon as she hatches oh she knows she she's knows ready. she knows <laughs> yeah um yeah and then the old queen she she goes off so well <laughs> it's a good life until <laughs> yeah well I, I love swarm time it's probably like one of my favorites it's probably so cool to watch right it is epic it and i i tell everyone like don't be afraid of swarms if you see a swarm like you're blessed it is such a marvelous sight it, it is a bee nato like you as much as you probably your reaction is to stand still you also just stand still because you're so stunned at this yeah. beauty in front of you because it is nature's reproduction as, at its finest when she leaves well she, there's all these workers that actually stimulate the swarm to get it all in one like once it sink like we're doing this all at once like how how in the heck do you rally like thousands yeah, of bees right <laughs> and it just pours out of the hive like all of these bees and they fly through the sky until uh, one of the workers in the Queenlands, and they're emitting like a lemongrass oil. Like, it smells like a lemongrass essential oil smell. And so they all know where to land onto this huh. tree branch and they start bearding. And it's so cool because you're just seeing all these bees flying around and then they just all start congregating on this one branch. And I've, I've seen some pretty Beardy. large <laughs> beards of bees. Yeah. And uh, so, and, and the other thing about the swarm, and I love, I love to share this information, especially like, as, to as many people as I can before they swarm it can be a long time till they can find a new home so they don't actually know it's a risky it's risky business yeah, I mentioned like the true act of altruism for the queen to leave her resources well also she's taking a big risk from leaving right. so they're congregating that tree mm -hmm. and they might not find a new location for a really long time so it can be even like up to two days they can be sitting there and what will happen is uh, they gorge on honey before they leave the swarm or sorry, before they leave the hive, they can consume up to 50% of their body weight wow. in honey. So they're so full. Like think of you going to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like you're not going to start a fight in the parking lot. You're going to be like, I need to go take a nap. No. <laughs> so so they're there full of honey. In fact, they, they're sweating wax even as they're sitting there. Oh so goodness. they'll start even build, if they can't pick a new location, they'll start building wax on that tree branch. Um, but they'll, um, they're also really hyper-focused on where's that new location? Like what are all the bees who are flying around the area looking for new sites saying to us? So um, they're not gonna sting. They're not, they're, like that's probably the least likely that they're gonna sting. They'll have other things to worry about. At yeah, <laughs> and so so when people are like, oh my gosh, there's this beard of bees in the tree. I'm like, I'm gonna die. No, no, like don't, don't be afraid. They're so coordinated. It's insane. Like, they're so small. But, like, I feel like we have something to learn from that, too, right? We have so much to learn. We have, like, yeah. lost instinctually. <laughs> like, they're, they're so smart. You were telling how, like, trying to pick a new place. It's in 1955, Carl von Friedrich in, um, in Germany. He uh, wrote a paper on the Wegel Dance. This is what he discovered about how bees communicate um, 
to other bees to tell them where flowers are located, the coordinates. And it was actually not published until 1975 because of the war. And he ended up winning a Nobel Prize in the category of physiology or medicine, which is pretty amazing because yeah. this paper was fundamental in understanding like this is how like this is marvelous yeah. that bees can understand mathematics and time let alone just help each other survive by showing these coordinates of flowers so what happens is the bee will leave the, the hive he takes an imprint she sorry takes an imprint of gravity in the sun and she'll fly into like whatever the direction is say that she finds the flowers if it's 50 meters or less from the hive, she'll come back to the hive and do a round dance. So she goes in a circle across the comb and the bees know, okay, I'm going to fly around 50 meters um, towards where that sun is. Now, if it's past 50 meters, she'll come and do a figure eight coordination. And where the center of the figure eight is, if it's like, that's always going to be the angle that you're going to fly towards, like away from the sun. So when it's straight, it's, it's hard to explain on a radio but if it's just straight with a piece of paper just draw it out as we're talking. <laughs> yeah. if it's straight with it the, the sun's always like straight from the hive and then it's a 45 so she'll go in a 45 around the figure eight and the speed at which she's in the center of the figure eight like how long she stays there say it's like four seconds it's usually about four kilometers away that they have to fly That's amazing yeah and then the other thing that blows my mind is that the sun is going across the sky while she's still foraging she can see 100 to 300 flowers depending on the the amount of nectar she's collecting in an outing so if the sun's moving she'll reorient herself on that angle change because time has passed and so she knows that it's going to be different it's like we can't even <laughs> follow directions that our people are telling us <laughs> like oh on my a gosh. App and and what's even more amazing is the the frames if anyone knows like the structure of the hive is the frames are vertical the comb and so when we think of the horizon she's flying horizontally but then she inverts that to be on a vertical position, the angles again. So, so this was fundamental research. And uh, 15 years later, uh, Carl's student, uh, Lin, Lin, Martin Lindauer, he uh, he worked with him, and he wanted to study more about this behavior of bees with the waggle dance because they were studying swarm. So that that beard of bees in in the tree, how do they pick a new location, and how do they fly all at once? Like, because all of a sudden it's like, yep, that's where we're going, and they they're off. And it's how many they can fly right? five yeah. kilometers. <laughs> um, so he's studying them and, and he noticed like some red soot on a couple bees and then he noticed more red soot and they, they're waggling. All, all these bees were waggling in the same coordinates and he kept noticing more and more and then all of a sudden they started flying and the swarm travels about six miles per hour so he was able to, to jog with the swarm <laughs> chasing them and he noticed they went into a chimney where the red soot was coming and so he, he predicted, he says, they're waggling to the chimney coordinates. Now... Years passed, and um, Dr. Thomas Seeley, down in the States, he started studying this with controlled trials and with camera technology so he could really study what was happening. Oh, yeah. And he's done some amazing research on how they develop a consensus because there's so many different sites that they could pick from, but 100% of the time, or like even in some studies with, with trial or um, with a tiny margin of error, they've been like 99.9% effective at coming to the best site. There's a bunch of ones to pick from, but right. all the time they pick the best. And so his his research is really cool to just look at. Again. So what was his name again? Uh, Dr. Thomas Seeley. That's crazy. Because um, like, I can't even pick a place to eat with someone else. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, yeah, that's where we're going to go. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, this is the best. Yeah. 
anyone can become a beekeeper actually it's not like intimidating i should put this out there if you want to become a beekeeper you get your bees and then you register with the province and they give you a beekeeper's number which you put somewhere near your your hive uh, or paint it on your box and um and it's just that you have to renew it every year and every uh, winter time i just send in a little thing saying how many beehives i overwintered about how much honey did they yield um, and whether i applied any treatments and it's nice because it's cool to collect data to see yeah. what beekeepers are doing um, and they register you regardless of your civil address so you can be like inner city um, they've recently changed the bylaw here in halifax to be a little bit more detailed it was kind of a gray zone oh, before okay. <laughs> like keeping a venomous insect sort of fell under the same thing as keeping a snake oh yeah so, so, very so some people yeah. yeah so some people were kind of tiptoeing and didn't want their neighbors to know and yeah. and it's still I, the guidelines do state that like say you had a neighbor who was really against your hive chances are you will have to relocate it wow it's, yeah, yeah. i mean if you're like anaphylactic and I'm, uh, yes. it'd be pretty stressful but so do you find that the beekeeping community in halifax is super supportive of each other or like yeah 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 it's great it's such That's a small awesome. world though it's <laughs> sometimes that makes it even better right it like, does just close-knit and... it does and and, um, and it's so funny because if, if there's ever a swarm, like there's, it's within minutes that I can email my honeybee society and say like, does someone want this? And people are like, I'll go get it. Or, awesome. or like one time I, I caught a swarm. It was actually, it was at the mount. My bee swarmed. <laughs> it was good. No one, the faculty and the students didn't even react. They were just like, oh, there's a thing of bees on the tree. You want to get it? And I just got it within a couple <laughs> seconds and then, uh, sent out an email to the group because I just didn't want more hives. And uh, within five minutes, I probably had 30 phone calls saying, I'll take the bees, I'll take the bees. That's great. Yeah. That support's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do get a lot of calls, though, around the city um, saying, oh, I have this nest. They're under my deck or they're in my like garage. <laughs> and they're all really they're pissed. And they're yeah. saying, like, come get it. And I said, can you, the first thing I say is that send me a picture. And they're always yellow jackets. And they're always wasps. They yeah. yeah, it's not and, the and same they go, thing. But they, they go, no, and they always argue too. They go, no, I'm sure they're honeybees. I'm like, mm, send a picture. And then sometimes, uh, actually often, they're bumblebees. And it's such a sin because a lot of these people will say, like, I really want them gone. This is really, like, I, I you know, it's scaring me it's or whatever. Sad, yeah. And bumblebees, well, one, they're on the extinction list, which yeah. is crazy. And two, they only live in about 200 to 500 bee colonies. They're quite small. And they're very docile. Like bumblebees are so, so, so cute. they, they do not like to sting. I mean, there's, cause there's so few of them that they can't afford to, to die. Yeah. And they know that they're going to die. It's like a risk they take. And so the other thing, they'll, they won't stay in that location. Like after winter, the next spring when they leave with the, like the queen, that's usually the one to survive and she flies away. They will find a new location. They'll never inhabit the same place. So I always want to tell them, just let them live in the spring. It, it, and well, I mean, who wouldn't want bumblebees right exactly. there to watch and observe? And then you get to see the queen come out after winter, like this giant queen. Like she's those really big ones that almost give you yeah. a concussion if you get <laughs> hit in the forehead. <laughs> you know, like why wouldn't you want to see them be like, wow, look at her go. Being pampered. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. So it's hard probably to hear that, right? Or yeah. And, and it's also, it's really tough to relocate bumblebees, especially at certain times of year when it's getting closer to fall. It would it would be great if someone wanted to specialize that and they could do it humanely and but so far I, I don't know many contacts for that. So catching a swarm, you talk about it and I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, what's that? Is that like what is it like and what it's, what do you need to do? <laughs> so like I said, the, the the beard is docile. The scary part of the swarm 
is being on a ladder yeah. <laughs> or I climbing a tree. Uh, so my neighbors are, are contractors and like one day there's that, see that really large tree? There's yeah. like a tree here in the yard that's like uh, oh my goodness, they go 30 down. feet or oh my something. God. So my, my, my neighbors built scaffolding, like three or four tiers of it to, for me to get it. And uh, so that was actually really nice. And what you do, you just put a box like right under the beard and you either just smash them in, like smash the branch or they all kind of fall. Right. Or you can just kind of stick your hand right in there, try to grab the, the middle cluster because that's where the queen is and like kind of just brush them into the box. And as soon as you get that queen in there, all of the bees start piling right, in because they, they smell it. They want to be right there and, and be uh, surrounded, surround her. Um, so it's, it's epic. It's, it's like my favorite thing. Like I, I do splits in the, the spring, which is like you simulate a swarm, you move the old queen and shake in half the colony. But I wish I didn't have to. Like I would much rather just wait for them to swarm and then catch them. So Be cool, yeah. Because then they also get to pick which bees want to go with what queen right. instead of you disrupting sort of the order of things. And so they're healthier. Both both colonies are healthier. But also just I I really love it. Like if you if you have the luxury of, you know, being on call and can pull away from work to go get bees <laughs> or have the ladder to go get them yeah it sounds like it's like a thrilling like exciting it experience is you get like a rush from although it. my bees swarm like on a, a birch tree end of july and it, there's just too tiny of branches so I, I there's no way i could get way up there um so i actually just had to wait for them to find a new home and and at that point i, I had an airplane to catch and everything it was just not it was such an inconvenient oh. time <laughs> and so i just said let's well, we'll see where they go and to this day i'm like where are they sitting out under the tree going go or in some <laughs> under someone's deck and they're I'm gonna go call soon <laughs> i know you yeah. well see I, I i my neighbors are great like they all know they all have my number um they all support it i mean awesome. I, and you just give them a jar of honey every year and everything's peaceful like they're excited to you know really like your honey at the, of your neighborhood is r truly tasting the terroir of your land yeah. right so like there's nothing better than tasting honey right from your yard Which give that to someone and them being like oh my goodness it's so special yeah it's it i don't know what it like maybe you know when you give someone soup when yeah. they're sick it, there's it, there's a symbolic cultural thing with it yeah. that is so special but there's something about when i give jars of honey people are so emotionally connected to that jar like more so than if they went to their grocery store and bought honey like there's something so special of knowing like I, maybe they just like trust me as a beekeeper yeah. and but like they are so appreciative and like i i, I just it's hard to just uh make people buy my honey because i just love giving it as a gift for that reaction and you know what the bees are giving it away to me so like their their work no <laughs> i'm sure they're very very grateful of the work you do so did you want to try some? Honey? Yeah, let's try some. Okay, so I wanna I wanna talk about some of these. Yes. This because it's it's so neat. Um, she has a lot of honey here, and I'm very. So excited. they're from around the world, but I'll start with some of the local stuff. Um, so, oh my gosh, so this one so here, see it's quite dark. Yeah. So it's it. Well, how do we describe it? a caramel color? It's quite caramel. Um, this is late summer. This is the end of August, middle or beginning of September. This is my honey here. And it's a lot of from the goldenrod. So goldenrod is this amazing flower in Nova Scotia and, and seen otherwhere. But when it blooms, you can see your hive like gain like, gosh, 40 pounds. Like, whole. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the good stuff. <laughs> it is. It's just amazing. And it's quite, it's quite a more pungent taste. And it's really neat because my earlier spring honey, it's, and it's very solidified at this yeah. point. You'll see it's, it's crystallized. My early spring honey, which is right here, you see how much whiter it is? Yeah. It's almost like a butter color. And so that's like more of the dandelions, um, 
colt's foot even when they're oh gosh what else is there lupins would be around this time that's so, so see it's good. pungent but yeah. wait till you try this it's a lot more floral And I always say, like, eating the local honey, not just for that connection to the, the land and to, like, taste sort of your environment, but also the, um, the health properties in honey. Uh, if you eat local honey, it's the pollen spores around your neighborhood, the ones that you're going to be breathing in. So your body can start to make antibodies to sort of help fight if, if you have allergies or, like, you know, different reactions to the spring. You get itchy eyes. Honey's a nice way to actually help combat that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I would say if people have, like, bad asthma, like, do you eat honey? <laughs> I have something for you. <laughs> we'll eat some in the spring. Yeah, so which one do you like better of those? They, You're right. They have totally yeah. different, like, profiles. Totally. I really like this one. Me too. I like yeah. the, sp the early spring. Yeah, I usually end up extracting late summer, but the spring is, it's, like, citrusy almost or something. So why is it, like, different just because of the flowers that just they're Just the flower sources, like, yeah. And um, a lot of people think of honey as like, just sugar um, but because it's so many flowers so this one here uh, so 250 mils one cup is 1.1 million flowers on average yeah so That's it's crazy it's crazy to me so you think about it's not just honey it's all these flavonoids and antioxidants that right. are found in the in the nectar and certain flowers have different medicinal properties like oregano has antifungal which actually helps like mitigate mold in the hive but it's also nice for us because like people say that like these these sort of medicinal properties, a lot of herbalists will tell you that it helps like sort of with like your lung um, airflow if it's goldenrod, actually. I just read this one about it. Goldenrod has a property that's almost like wasabi. It kind of clears the senses oh, and it's okay. nice for your respiratory system. And I thought, wow, I wonder if the goldenrod that honey. amazing thing. Yeah. And, uh, and there is, there is some, uh, some research that's done, um, but small trials. And um, I've, I looked at human trials, but uh, they've done a lot of extensive research for the allergies and asthma, and as well as for burn victims for wound management, because it contains uh, natural hydrogen peroxide. And it also has like a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of compounds that work at the epithelial level at the skin. Okay. So it, one, it covers up the smell because burn victims, they do have a smell. Yeah. Um, as well as the, the dressing that covers the wound doesn't stick. And it helps with the scarring and the healing because it has that antibacterial property. So um, they'll use it a lot in in uh, medical situations depending on how much glucose compared to fructose is in it it'll crystallize really fast so you see kind of larger crystals form if it's really high in glucose and if it's um, higher in fructose it's it'll stay liquid a little bit longer and one thing that's really um, neat about the research is they've done studies where they've tested um, glycemic index like how high the blood sugars of someone get rose uh, in diabetics with type 2 diabetes actually wow. and what they found was um, honey is a lot less sugar spiking than like corn syrup or just white sugar um also like agave is less uh, sugar spiking That's because, great because they're people, high in fructose yeah. And it also is because it's so high in antioxidants, there's an anti-inflammatory reaction that's happening too at the pancreatic level. All right, so we're in the suits. Um, today I'm not gonna use smoke, but you know, if normally if you uh, are kind of a little bit nervous about the temperament of your bees, you can light your smoker, which is like a little thing that you puff um, across the frames and it just covers the pheromones of the bees so that they, they, it's almost like a, they're alarmed that there's a forest fire and they can't communicate though and spread their own smells um but my bees have a pretty good temperament so it's nice the sun poked out today and we're just gonna yeah see how they're doing and you'll know immediately how your bees 
yeah. feel. <laughs> they <let you> know. <laughs> yeah, they let you know by the sound. So I'm just gonna take the lid off here. And a wasp, look at the wasp just flew right in the center. These, the, so the guard bees are like, nope, you're not coming in here. <laughs> That's amazing how quickly they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like... Yeah, no, you've got to get out of here, wasp. I don't mind the wasps. I mean, sometimes they can be aggressive, but as long as you have a strong colony, they're no, they're no match. That's amazing. Wow, look how big that drum is. That's amazing. All right, so the initial sound of them. They're pretty, they're pretty nice. They're not loud at all. In fact, some, I think we almost want them to be a little louder for uh, for the audio clip. <laughs> um, I'm seeing a lot of drones on the top, which is alarming. Uh, but my queen, she probably just got inseminated. She's a new queen. Uh, so the drones live longer. So if you're waiting for your new queen to start laying eggs, you can see a decrease in the amount of your females. Um, so I'm just going to pull out this one. So they took to the new queen well? I hope so. Um, I mean, there was, a, there was a ton of queens that had to battle it out to be oh. the key. Oh, and look at there. They got another queen cup built. So see that? That's the queen cup mm -hmm. cell. That one in the center, that little oh, peanut. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and here's another one. So Getting ready to duke it out. Why again? Oh, my gosh. These bees and they're swarming. Um, that's okay, but right now is a bad time of year. Um, oh my goodness. It's like down in there, it's crazy. Yeah, so I kind of hear them with the mic there. Sometimes I think that they... Um, because they've waited so long for her to start laying, they can sometimes just make uh, queen cells out of sort of habit. It's not, they're not going to do much with it. And unless she starts laying eggs, there's going to be nothing in it. They just kind of make one because they sense that the pheromone doesn't have a queen. So are there any programs like in Canada that people can take to become beekeeper or? To do this as a profession, um, there are some community college programs that are starting up, um, but there's also like you can go to polytechnic schools and there's one called uh, Kowalton in, out of Surrey. They accept 15 candidates a year from Canada and the intent is that you do stay in BC and become a commercial beekeeper, but they train you with an apprenticeship program, um, how to manage about 300 hives. And you do your business plan and you work like right there on the field with your, um, with the other beekeepers. So it's a very hands-on approach. Yeah, it's a really great, I think it's a really great program. Um, I've definitely, I looked into it and I actually got accepted. Um, but I decided not to go in with the intake because that was the same year that I developed an allergy. <laughs> so, ah, 300. <laughs> maybe I should stick with my, uh, learnt my vocation here of nutrition. <laughs> we'll just stick it out. But it would be neat. And I like, I like using my body. I, I, sometimes I get really down having to be in front of a computer. And I think beekeeping is a really cool complement between um, being physically active, but also in the winter when you're, all your hives are overwintering, you can work on all your business stuff, get creative, like think about different educational right, yeah. things you want to do, partnerships, like, like say like with meteries or, or anything like that. Um, and look at how cute. So see her little twerking? I call it twerking when she shakes her Yeah, little she's twerking. <laughs> so she's she's just trying to emit pheromone. Her pheromone comes out of the last stripe of her bum. Just right there. I'm going to tickle it. Oh my God, I'm such a little 
disturber here. Isn't that cute? Um, and yeah, she's just telling them like, hey, the top's off, I'm alarmed. So, so she, she too, look at how much she's, look at her oh, little, yeah. she's really going. Yeah, and um, look at this little guy cleaning himself off. A little drone. Oh, here, actually, I'll give you a, a nice recording of holding a drone because they're so funny. They squeak when I grab them. When I do workshops with little kids, they always want to hold a drone. And it's so funny because you give one kid a drone and then all these little hands come at you and they go, I want one, I want one. And, and I'm going, drone for you, drone for you, drone for you. <laughs> and these little drones are squeaking going, stop picking me up. Um, come on, mom. <laughs> I might, uh, I'm probably going to do a, a, like a full inspection um, this weekend. One of my, I'm training a friend of mine to to know everything the ins and outs and she just got her bees this year so i've been waiting we do it together awesome. and it's actually i like beekeeping with a person um because then there's like more eyes to spot things um it's always someone else that i'm with that spots the queen i don't know why i seem to always like struggle but um yeah i think this used to be jam-packed so they swarmed twice on me they had an after swarm um so it used to be like they were so crowded i think that, that's what i mean i know that's why they after swarmed um so since you like working with other beekeepers, do you find like it's a very more, it's male dominated or there's more females or do you find it's an equal? Yeah. So that's, a, that's kind of as far as the, the women in science and engineering camp with those girls. Um, and that's why I'm wearing, I'm actually wearing a baby pink suit right now. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually, uh, so I'm on this women in beekeeping Facebook page. They're all, they're all hobby beekeepers for the most part. Um, and so many of us have the pink suit and I'm like, that's great, but it is a male dominated industry. And, um, it's so funny, like as soon as something kind of becomes um, a money maker, it seems to be male dominated. But a lot of these like vocations, like like culinary, you know, or, or caretaking for animals, like it's always been like a female job. But when it's a money maker, it's like a, a male, male job. Um, so there are few, there are less women in beekeeping. Uh, and there's different reasons for that, not just because it's a trade, but it is la like a labor intensive job this small medium can be like 40 to 60 pounds and this one below can be like 80 to 90 pounds so oh it's a, it's tough on the back as a commercial beekeeper you can get equipment that's like little forklift kind of thing help you with um there's different stuff just to like you know like i'm only five three <laughs> like i don't we're both really short yeah, so we're looking yeah. at this like oh i consider myself a pretty tiny person and so like it's it's tough but i do i do feel really empowered sometimes when i'm beekeeping and someone goes oh let me help you lift that up i'm like no i got this like i can i can deadlift 100 pounds because i i've pr like purposely tried my like to do it because uh for beekeeping i don't want to drop a hive i've done that before and that's when you start weightlifting. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good though, right? Be like, I can do this myself. Like, this is what I... Yeah. Is that the pollen right there yeah, on his... Pollen baskets. And um, so it's so cool to see the different colors. In the springtime, you'll see um, like almost like a maroon Coca-Cola color. Like Wow. And it's the maple trees. This is really neat. Everyone always like thinks of like pollen as yellow because they associate... Yeah, that's amazing. And you can see how much pollen is stored. Uh, see all that, like all that there? Yeah. It kind of becomes, sometimes it's like totally rainbow and sometimes it's, it comes one color because they're collecting from one source uh, for quite a long time. And see, that, like, this is really dark. Um, the goldenrod's been in bloom and this is one of the top frames. So I'm, I'm considering, like, pretty sure that that's goldenrod that they've been collecting. Um, yeah, and they're just, they're just doing their thing. So if someone is going to become a beekeeper as a profession, like as a career, uh... 
everyone wants to know about money, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's the big thing that makes the world go around, I guess. Yeah, Sadly. It's a decent career path. Um, so it's everyone. It's not just honey that you're getting paid for. Uh, you're getting paid mostly. The, the main source of income is being uh, contracted to be a, like for pollination services. So certain or, uh, orchards, they require quite a few bees to pollinate for cross-pollination. Uh, blueberries can have almost like four hives uh, per acre, but usually, generally, it's one hive per acre of fruit. Um, and so, so it's about 100 Right now, I think the going rate across Canada is about $150 per hive that you're contracting. And then if you're moving it quite a few times a year, that's like how much you can be yielding per, per season. Um, but that said, it's really expensive to start. You can have losses up to 25%, which are very hard. If they're above, it's really hard to come back from that. Uh, if it's below 25, it's, it's, you're a little bit more stagnant. Um, and then you also have the honey sales, but, uh, but yeah, you can, it depends on like, just, you know, what you want to put into your labor, your labor costs. So it's nice if you can create like a social enterprise business even, um, and, or even just pay a higher wage and, and get the word out. And they can also be your, your promoters for your business, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of, it's just a neat. And then, like I said, like winter, you work super hard all summer. Like I don't, people are probably like talking about their vacations and the beekeeper is probably thinking like, damn you. But, yeah. but then winter they're like, well, I'm a snowbird and see, I'm in Florida. No. <laughs> Get that relaxed time after all that yeah. grind. Um. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast and sharing all of your awesome boxes with bees. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, take these little girls. And see, aren't they cute when they all come out? They're so cute. Favorite part, just like watching.